I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome back to HR Coffee Time. It's wonderful to have you here. HR Coffee Time is a podcast created especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. And today we're going to be diving into practical strategies that empower women to succeed in leadership roles. So whether you're listening to this episode because you are a woman in a leadership role, or you aspire to be in a leadership role in the future, or you want to learn what some of those strategies are so that you can empower women to succeed in the organisation you work in, I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to our guest for today. She shares so much value and so many fantastic ideas, and her name is Carla Miller. Carla is a women's leadership coach. She's also the author of the brilliant book, Closing the Influence Gap, and she has a chart-topping podcast called Influence and Impact. She is going to talk us through the key parts of her book and share lots of ideas to help with all of this, as well as explaining how the challenges experienced by women in leadership roles can be different to those experienced by men. But before we launch into the interview, I just want to quickly let you know that there are only 30 copies left of the HR Planner, your trusty companion to setting your career and work goals for the year, planning out everything you have to do in your busy HR role so that you succeed and make an impact and really love the work that you do. So if you'd like to get your hands on one, please do go ahead and order it quickly before they completely sell out. 
I'll pop a link to be able to buy one in the show notes for you and you can also track it down on my website which is Bright Sky Career Coaching. But now let's crack on and move on to the main part of the show and meet Carla. Welcome to the show Carla, it's so lovely to have you here and it would be wonderful if you could just start us off by introducing yourself to everyone listening so they can learn a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Thanks Faye, it's lovely to be here. So I'm a women's leadership coach and I work with women throughout their career actually. I work with early women, early career women in terms of building their confidence and assertiveness speaking up in meetings and then right through to working with senior women getting them into the c-suite and to chief exec level i've been coaching for about 14 years now and i've recently brought out a book called closing the influence gap that we're going to have a chat about i also have my own podcast called influence and impact for female leaders which usually sits somewhere in the top 20 in the apple management charts which is amazing to me, given all the great podcasts that are in there, but I'm going to be good at claiming that because one of the things I teach people to do is to be clear about what your strengths are um, and share those. So I like to put that into practice. Well, anyone listening who has been listening to the show for a while may be able to hear the excitement in my voice because I am a long-time listener to your show. I absolutely love it and I'd really recommend anyone listening today goes and checks it out. So I'm trying not to get too overexcited and become a super fan in front of Carla. I'm purposefully trying to tone things down. But not only <laughs> but not only do I love your podcast, Carla, I absolutely loved your book. And reading it made it really hard for me to decide what to talk to you about today. Because as I was working my way through it, I'd read one chapter and think, oh, this is brilliant. When Carla comes on HR Coffee Time, I'm just going to ask her about this one chapter because it's so good. And then I'd get to the next one and think exactly the same thing. So instead, because that would take too long for us to do a deep dive into every single chapter, we are going to be covering the book overall today. But before we dive into talking about the book, I'd love to start off by asking you, what led you to write it in the first place? Sure. So my background was in the charity sector. I was a fundraising director for many years and I led teams raising about £20 million for good causes. And I was a director young. I was a director at 29 and I was often underestimated as a young woman in the room surrounded by people who were much older than me, sometimes much more experienced and generally more male than I was. And I found it hard to get my voice heard. And not realizing that that is something that women generally struggle with due to gender bias. Instead, I internalized it and it fueled feelings of self-doubt and imposter feelings. And I would sit there thinking, they're gonna realize they've made a mistake giving me this role. Everyone's gonna work out that I'm not as good as they think I am. And despite getting great results for my team, I still doubted myself and I felt very alone in that at the time. And since then, I've worked with thousands of women and learned a lot about gender bias. And I'm able to now recognize that it was gender bias that was causing a lot of those feelings for me. Because when your voice isn't being heard, when you're contributing and it doesn't feel valued, when you don't feel seen, then you start to think, well, they're not listening because I haven't got anything valuable to say, so I need to be better, I'm not enough, I need to work harder. 
And I was fortunate that I got a coach to work with who helped me to build my confidence and helped me to identify that I needed to learn how to influence and navigate internally and be taken seriously, build my credibility. Because people will always underestimate a young woman walking into the room. But I learned those skills to the point where they never underestimated me twice. Like by the time I'd had their attention for five minutes, no one was going to question my credibility on something. And that unlocked new opportunities for me. So I ended up as a chief exec of a small charity. I moved into recruitment and was managing director of a recruitment company. I facilitated boardrooms for strategy days full of many very experienced corporate leaders. And all of that led me to a place where I started working with women, bringing groups of women together, because I think we feel quite alone in our thoughts and feelings and challenges and think there's something wrong with us. And when you put a room full of women together and create a safe space for them to talk about it, we realize that we're not alone. So that's what led to the program. And the the book has really come out of the program. So it's, it's the book that I needed when I was 25 in my first management role and didn't know how to set boundaries and expectations. And when I was 29 and promoted above my peers, or when I was going into my chief first chief exec role, I really wish there was a handbook that would tell me how to do things. So that's really what I've created. And it's there to help close what I call the influence gap. So we know that women don't get seats at the table as often as men do. And that's very well documented. What's less well documented is the fact that even when we get a seat at the table, it's much harder for us to get our voice heard. And then it creates this cycle of self-doubt. And so what I've tried to do is I can't fix the system. There are many people who are working on fixing the system. And and I do a bit of that in terms of male allyship. But what I wanted to do is whilst we're changing that system, empower women, make them feel less alone and give them the tools that they need to believe in themselves, trust their judgment and lead their way rather than trying to lead like the men around them or maybe the very dominant women around them, just recognizing that we can show up as ourselves. And when we all start to do that, hopefully that will help to close the influence gap. Well, it's very inspiring hearing you talk about it. And it's funny listening to you say that you have created something to help yourself from when you were younger. I've heard that said a lot about people who have their own businesses. And I remember thinking, oh, but I haven't done that because, you know, in my coaching business, I'll I work with everybody and at all points of their career and it's really strange to have seen actually how over the last year I've ended up creating my program Inspiring HR which is a group coaching program and it's mainly targeted at standalone HR professionals or people who are working in very small HR teams to help them build their confidence, their strategic skills, their influencing skills. And I suddenly realised, oh, (laughs) I've created exactly what I wish I'd had when I was in a standalone HR role. So it's funny seeing this coming true for for me and, and just hearing this story again and again from other people who have their own businesses. Absolutely. And sometimes some of the things we find most challenging, we learn the most from. And then the fact that we can then give back and and help other people to avoid some of the real lows just feels like a really nice full circle. 
So the book is divided up into five parts. The first four parts cover key areas that we've all got control over to progress our careers and close that influence gap that you were talking about. And the fifth part is a troubleshooting Q&A section where you address lots of the questions that have cropped up repeatedly amongst your clients. So can I ask you to talk us through that first four parts. If you could share what those four key areas are that we could all be working on, that would be brilliant. No problem. So the first part is about seeing yourself as a leader, because there are lots of great books on influencing out there, but they'll go straight to the strategies and tactics. But if actually you are doubting yourself, then it doesn't matter how many strategies and tactics you use, people aren't going to listen to you when you're not really believing in yourself. So that's the first thing we do is think about how how can you start to see yourself more as a leader? So we'll look at imposter feelings and the various ways of thinking that cause those. We look at that inner critic, so that negative chatter that you've got in your voice and find ways to turn down the volume and also tap into the other side of that. So I think we're all quite familiar with our inner critic and that negative voice. But actually, we have had moments in the past where we have been calm and confident and clear and focused. And that's what I tend to call your inner leader. And so I like to teach people how to tune into that side of things as well, so that when you're going into a meeting, you can consciously leave your inner critic outside the front door and go in feeling more confident. And then another thing I talk about a lot within the book is worry, because I found a lot of women who outwardly appeared very confident, but were spending quite a lot of the time in the middle of the night waking up worrying, either replaying something that had happened that day or earlier in the week and beating themselves up and second guessing themselves, or worrying about the future or worrying about their team. And so that's something that I've integrated as well, thinking about how to set boundaries and how to care about your team without taking responsibility for their happiness, which I think lots of us do. So that's that's the first section of the book. I won't share a tip from that because it's just too, it's a bit more in depth. It's hard to share one little thing that's gonna really help you on that side of things. But the next side of things, the next chapter is how to get others to see you as a leader. And this comes up a lot. I have sort of two profiles of women that tend to come and work with me. The first profile is what I lovingly call likable Lucy, where we're probably earlier on in your management career and you're trying to do it exactly the opposite from what you experienced. So maybe you experienced managers that weren't very nice and you think, well, I just want to be really nice and caring and supportive. And I definitely don't want to micromanage because that would be the worst thing I could ever do. And instead, you just give people all the freedom in the world and then they don't have that structure that they need to be able to perform well. So and and you just want to be liked. So things like not providing clear feedback, like fluffing the feedback, not setting clear boundaries and expectations and holding people to them. And another really big one is not claiming the authority that comes with your role. So what I realized is, I see lots of women, and this isn't just women, I know your audience isn't just women, but I do see lots of women who claim all the responsibility that comes with their job title. And, you know, will work incredibly hard and stay up late at night worrying about work, but don't claim the authority that comes with their job title. So they don't want to hold people accountable or step into the fact that they are an expert in what they know and in their area of specialism. And so what I really encourage people to do is to establish, are you actually claiming the authority that comes 
with your role. So I was coaching someone just this week, absolutely lovely, first time in a really senior role and had got very comfortable at the management level before, but was really struggling to even lead one-to-ones with their team. So they were letting their team lead the way and then wondering why they didn't get enough out of it. And this can strike at any time in our career, to be honest, but it's just that wanting to be liked side of things. So the book teaches you how to claim the authority that comes with your role and how to get over that wanting to be liked. So you can be a likable person without wanting, without needing to be liked in every single conversation. So we talk about that side of things. And one of my favorite tips from that is what I call your cloak of authority. So when you have to go into a situation that you as a person doesn't really want to face, maybe you don't feel credible enough, maybe it's with senior stakeholders, maybe it's just an uncomfortable conversation. I mean, I'm sure HR leaders are very used to having these kind of uncomfortable conversations around someone's career development or performance. But I used to find that Carla, the person, did not want to have those conversations because I just like to be nice all the time. But as a director, it was my job to have those conversations. And so I would imagine that my I had this cloak of authority. And at the time, Harry Potter was on in the cinema and he had an invisibility cloak. And I was like, oh, I'd like the idea of a magic item of clothing. And so I would go into these meetings and put on my cloak of authority. And that enabled me to just show up differently to step into that authority and credibility that came with my role and hold the tough have the tough conversations and and hold the space to do that and that's one of the things we encourage people to do within the book basically is that making sense so far it makes total sense and it's really funny how these little tricks can make such a difference so just imagining a cloak. I know it's not going to work for everyone, but it will definitely work for a lot of people. It reminds me of a tactic I heard about if you don't feel confident standing up for public speaking in front of other people. And there's a real risk that you'll start like leaning on one leg or fiddling and not looking grounded and authoritative. So I only heard about this this year, actually, where you imagine that you have a really, really heavy, scaly, weighty dragon's tail attached to you and that it's fallen to the floor and and it's completely holding you straight. And it's been amazing seeing that work for some people when I've spoken to them about it. Others have said, no, it's not doing anything for me at all, Faye. Whereas others will say, oh gosh, yeah, I, I feel I can stand here confidently imagining this tale behind me. So these little things just have such an impact sometimes, don't they? They do. I find they stick in people's minds. So the cloak of authority has proved really popular. But also studies show that things like power posing, visualizations, affirmations, they give us a sense of agency over our situation, which enables us to show up differently. So there's some science behind it as well. And the other thing we talk about, I talk about in that chapter is impact in meetings. And there's a meeting toolkit about how you can have powerful communication, use powerful language and deal with some of the things that come across, come up like interrupting and not being able to get a word in edgeways and that side of things. Um, so one of the things that comes up a lot is when we contribute in meetings, we do exactly what I just did earlier, actually, and I caught myself doing it, is I said, does that make sense? Now, actually, I knew what I'd said made sense. That was not the most powerful way to communicate. And in normal life, wouldn't do that. Just a little bit nervous on a podcast. <laughs> 
But we, as women, we quite often caveat our contributions. So we'll start with, I'm not sure, but, or I might be wrong, but, and actually we are sure, we don't think we're wrong, but we try and keep ourselves safe from criticism by caveating it either at the start or at the end with a, does that make sense? Or that's all from me with an awkward shrug or just tailing off at the end of your contribution and not ever really finishing it. And what we're doing when we when we use that language is basically saying it's probably not worth listening to me on this. And that's exactly the opposite of what we want. So first we need to recognize it and notice what we've started doing because often it then becomes habitual. We start doing it because we've seen someone else do it or maybe we just want to make sure we don't get criticized for the challenging point we're about to make and then it becomes a default for any kind of challenging contribution or any contribution at all sometimes in a meeting. So first we recognize it, don't beat ourselves up because traditionally it hasn't really been safe. And even now, like you don't see many women go into meetings and just talk unedited, boldly, directly. We get judged for doing that. And so at some level that need for safety is real, but what we need to do is find a way to communicate powerfully without undermining ourselves. And so in the book, I'll share more powerful phrases that you can use to do that. But you will still slip up sometimes, like I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's put it to the test then. So let's imagine we've just gone back in time and you're going to finish saying what you were saying to me without the, oh, did that just make sense? Or was that okay? Or I can't remember what your exact phrase was. What would you like to say instead? I would like to say... What are your thoughts on that, Faye? Ooh, I like it. So powerful. (laughs) (laughs) More powerful than, does that make sense? It's awkward. It's when you feel a bit awkward and you're like, should I stop talking now or should I keep going? We then default to those phrases which aren't very powerful and we just need to get some new default ones. (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's a brilliant default one to have and helps open up the conversation for someone else to step in as well and contribute. Have you got any other key phrases that you'd like to recommend that you could have just used? Well, one of the things you can do is just if you're someone who does that shrug at the end that says that's all from me or you tail off is just imagine a full stop and that to, at the end of your sentence and then take a breath. I shared that recently as one of various strategies on a workshop. And at the end, I said, Sharon, what your takeaway is. And loads of people were just putting dots <laughs> because <laughs> a full stop is just such a simple thing to remember because there's something powerful about just ending and leaving a bit of space that says, right, I've made my valuable contribution. Now let's see what the responses are. You can say any reflections on that, or in fact, more of an open question of what are your reflections on that? What are your thoughts on that? Anything that encourages people to contribute, but also signals, okay, I've said my piece now. Without doing that awkward, please stop looking at me shrug, but many of us do. Well, they're great tips. And for anyone listening, if you have a go at putting any of these into action, Carla and I would love to hear how you get on. So please always feel free to get in touch with us. It's lovely to hear from anyone who's listening to the show, but especially to find out that it is having an impact and you're able to take away and action some of the insights and ideas. And coming back then to the book, I've now lost track as to how many parts of the way through we are. We are now on part three. So part three is about increasing your influence and your impact. And influence and impact is the name of my signature program. 
And this is because the, the second persona of women I work with, I call respected Rachel. Um, and this is someone who's got the managing downwards absolutely sorted and they're good at their job. In fact, they're great at their job, but they struggle to get the people upwards and their peers to really value what they, their team bring to the organization. And I see this a lot in so many talented women and then they get very frustrated. And so in that, I teach my six step influencing model of how you can influence anyone. I teach people to speak the language of senior stakeholders and to start to put themselves in people's shoes and just lots of practical strategies to navigate internal politics and to strategically build your relationships because often what I see, and I don't know if you see the same thing, but I see lots of managers and leaders who are overwhelmed and stressed out because yes, they've got too much work, but they're also constantly available to their team and finding some time to maybe work on their own priorities, but no time to work on their own development or to be navigating within the organization and building relationships with senior stakeholders. And when you compare those to people who are successful and less overwhelmed, they have empowered their team to deal with more things themselves and they are dedicating some of their time to building those relationships and I think men are better at prioritizing that than women I think we are often we're trained by society to put other people's needs before our own ours are always at the bottom of the list and so that particular part of the book is about just giving us the tools that we need to navigate internally and have the confidence to do that and then the final piece is around taking control of your career. So I read a book recently called Why Men Win at Work by Jill Whitty Collins. Really, really interesting book. Definitely one I would recommend for all leaders um, and HR leaders in particular. And in the book, she tells a story of how women tend to believe in a meritocracy. So we tend to think, well, if we do a good job and we work hard, we'll be noticed and recognized for that. And she doesn't believe that men think the same. She thinks men believe that part of work is about letting people know what you've done, what you're good at, what you're capable of, what you want next and how much you want to be paid, basically. And they're very good at communicating that. And her example is that she talks about operating under an umbrella. So everyone operates under an umbrella where you're busy working away and the person above you, your line manager, can't see what's going on under the umbrella. They only know what you tell them. So she was a, a VP of marketing, I believe, one of a few at Procter & Gamble. And she would go along to the team meetings with her peers and her manager. And each week, her male peers, because they were all male, would share the crises that they've dealt with in their team and how they've managed them really successfully. And she would sit there thinking, well, those aren't crises, those are just problems. And I deal with problems like that all the time in my team. I just don't raise them to my manager because you know, I've dealt with them, it's under control. And then she got to her year end review and despite her team performing better than the others, they got pay rises and she didn't because her line manager said, well, your job obviously isn't as challenging. You had it easier this year because you didn't have all these crises to deal with. And so from that, she took that you need to show people what's going on under your umbrella. You need to be communicating what you're working on. And so I, I find that a really helpful thing to think about as women is how are we communicating all the things that we're dealing with, not in detail, but so that people know what we're capable of rather than just doing it quietly and hoping someone will read our minds and recognize it. Does that ring true for you and your clients? 
Oh, absolutely. But I haven't heard it referred to as being under an umbrella. It's another really great visual trick, isn't it? Another way of being able to visualize what the challenge actually is so that you can then think of a strategy to overcome it. So I guess we've been starting off with our special cloak of authority and now we need to think about, okay, what's the umbrella that we're sitting under? I'm definitely going to have to read that book. Although as everyone who listens to this every week knows, I seem to have this never ending, ginormous (laughs) growing pile of books that I, I really want to get through. Yeah, me too. Uh, my bookcase is full of pretty books that I've got a little bit of the way through and full of post-it notes and then, yeah, haven't quite finished. But yeah, I think, and the book talks about taking control of your career, basically, because women don't initiate career conversations as frequently as men do. So we know that there's a gender pay gap. We know that certainly in the UK, women don't ask for pay rises as frequently and they don't get pay rises as frequently and we don't get promoted as quickly. In Australia, interestingly, the women are bolder. Uh, So in Australia, women ask just as much as the men, they still get paid less. So they still don't get the same percentage that they ask for. So in the book, I encourage people to have those career conversations. And I also talk about how do you prepare for that next level? Because many of us hold ourselves back, not just women, lots of us hold ourselves back from that next level thinking we're not capable of it when actually we're extremely capable and the organization actually needs us to do it so we talk about preparing for that increasing your visibility which is part of showing people what's going on under the umbrella and then once you get into the new role how do you start a new role successfully particularly at a new level at each new level you have to learn a different way of managing and leading so yeah those are the four sections so It's meant to be a handbook. I mean, originally it was called the Women Leaders Handbook. And I think it is jam-packed full of practical strategies, but also hopefully makes people feel understood when they read it. That was my plan, that when you read it, not only would you get loads of strategies, but that you would feel less alone and feel like you didn't have to settle for what you were experiencing at the moment. Things could be better. Well, I would love to ask you a tiny bit more about one of the last things that you mentioned, which is about stepping into that more senior level role, because I know that that is a particular point where all the nervous butterflies can take hold and there can be a lot of worry (laughs) as to how to do that right. And we actually had a guest on the show. Oh, my gosh, it was ages ago now, but it's been one of the most popular episodes Neve O'Keefe talking about your first 100 days in your new HR leadership roles and she shared some absolutely brilliant strategies and just like I love your book I love her book too. Can I be so bold as to ask you to share a couple more of your tips as to how you can navigate that transition successfully? Yes so first tip is to be really intentional about what kind of leader you want to be in this new role or context or organization so it might be a new senior role or maybe you're leading on a new senior project. I call it your personal leadership brand but really it's thinking about how do I want others to perceive me and therefore how do I want to show up. So there's a bit of a process to go through but the shortcut to it is to just before You go in, think, right, what are the three words or phrases I would love people to use to describe me? And you can do that from the interview process. Like I definitely encourage people to do that as they go for the interview, but follow that through as well. And they want to be you at your best because often we think, oh, I need to be more like someone else. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And actually no one needs you to be a crap version of someone else. They need you to be the best 
version of you. So we need to stop comparing ourselves to other people and instead embrace what our strengths are. So think about how do I want to be perceived? So it might be credible is one of them. You know, if that's what you're concerned about, my first director role, the staff interviewed me beforehand as part of the process and they didn't think I was old enough to do the role, but no one told me this till I was three weeks in and a member of staff told me. And I was like, huh, okay, well that explains quite a lot. So I needed to be seen as credible quickly. But you can, based on the context that you're operating in, you can think, what are the three things? And that acts as a subconscious filter for how you communicate. And I have had so many examples of clients come back and say, people have been describing me using those words and I've never verbalized those words. I've just tried to show up differently. So that would be my first one. Get really clear on that. And just because your leadership style worked in your last organization doesn't mean it will work in this organization. You need to adapt. I see quite a few people who were stars in one organization come to another different culture and they can't work out why it's not working and then that really impacts their confidence and in fact they've got to adapt how they're showing up and then the second tip i would give is that each new level of leadership requires you to operate differently so when you are a manager for example when you're early in your career success depends on your ability to get stuff done yourself when you're a manager Success tends to depend on your ability to solve your team's problems for them and answer their questions. Not in my way, the best way to do it, but that tends to be what you get rewarded for. When you're a leader, particularly if you're now leading people who know more about their specialisms than you do, when you make that shift from specialist to generalist and you no longer know more than they do, you have to switch from thinking that you should know all the answers to learning how to ask really fantastic questions and switching to more of a coaching style of leadership and many people don't do that and then they are killing themselves trying to know the answers and they're driving the people who work for them absolutely crazy when actually you just need to be having that conversation of I appreciate you're the expert at what you do this is what I bring to the table how can I support you and this is what I'm responsible for so this is what I'm going to need to know in order to know that this area is performing well so it's just a complete switch really in terms of how you show up and mindset because I've seen lots of people get stuck at that specialist to generalist shift so hopefully that's some helpful tips that your listeners can use. I think there's some incredibly helpful tips and if anyone listening has thought oh how can I get better at asking those coaching questions then you may want to hop back to a few episodes ago when I had coach trainer Charlie Wachowski on the show and he talked through really how coaching skills can help you in your HR career and what they are and how you can develop them so I'll make sure that I put a link to that in the show notes in fact I'll make sure that I have links to everything we've been talking about today in the show notes including your fabulous book Carla and now that we have come to the end of talking about it can I possibly ask you For your book recommendation, it's a question that I ask every guest who comes on the show and you have me intrigued as to what yours is going to be because just before we hit record, you very tantalisingly said, ooh, yes, this is one that's going to be really good for HR leaders, but didn't tell me what it is. (laughs) So it's called The Future of Time by Helen Beedham and we share the same publisher and she came on my podcast and I had a read of the book and it's absolutely fascinating because... 
when we talk about time management, we're generally talking about individual time management and productivity. And actually, that isn't the issue. The issue is we have far too much to do. People are overwhelmed. People at the top are saying yes to everything and then everyone else has to deliver and we're all addicted to that. And so what this book talks about is collective time management and it has some really useful tools for doing that. So if you want to think differently about how how you structure productivity, meetings, all sorts of things to be inclusive because that's a key part of the book, but also to help everyone collectively use their time better. I really recommend it. I found it fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It was one of the books where I was thinking if I was the chief exec again, I would absolutely be implementing this book. So yeah, it's a really good read as well. The Future of Time by Helen Beedham. Well, that is one that I haven't heard of before. So I'm looking forward to looking that up. That's great. Thank you, Carla. And then my final question for you today is for anyone listening who thinks, oh, I'd love to know more about Carla and her work and potentially get in touch with her. What's the best way of them doing that? So LinkedIn is my happy place. I like to hang out on LinkedIn and chat to people. So absolutely, you can follow me. Feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Feel free to like face ed, send a message saying you've put something into action. I'm on Instagram less, but if you like Instagram, I'm at this is Carla Miller on Instagram. And my website is carlamillatraining.com. And on that, you'll find some fantastic free webinars and some resources and about the courses and programs that I run. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Carla. It has been fantastic having you on the show. Thanks for having me. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to the episode today. If you have found it interesting, can I please ask you to share it with a friend? Because I would love HR Coffee Time to reach as many HR professionals as possible to help them with their careers. So it would be brilliant to be able to get the word out to even more people. Thank you so much and I will be back again next week with the next episode.